Do you ever wish your child was as excited about learning the Bible as watching TV or playing with friends? Now they can be with the Bible Crate, the all-new Bible in a Year subscription box that is hands-on for kids and hands-off for mom and dad. Featuring every major Bible story from creation to the ascension, all 12 monthly Bible crates come with read-along audio dramas, fun crafts and activities, discussion questions, and dedicated time for prayer. Along the way, your child will record the amazing locations they visit in their Bible Crate Adventure Passport and keep track of the heroes they meet with the collectible character cards. The Bible Crate is written and designed to allow parents to address theological discussions and personal beliefs however you see fit, because you know your children best. Ignite your children's imagination and love for Scripture. Sign up today at thebiblecrate.com. Welcome to the Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Your host, Sue Meyer, is a Catholic wife and homeschool mom of 11. She shares her knowledge of the study of natural alternative medicine with you. While this show is not intended to diagnose or name any disease, through her experience, Sue will share helpful information to help you further your study into the amazing world of homeopathy. And now, here's your host, Sue Meyer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Homeopathy for Mommies. I'm Sue Meyer. And today, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest. I'm so excited because I've actually never really talked to a homeopathic veterinarian, but we have Dr. Todd Cooney with us, and he is a homeopathic veterinarian. And so he's going to tell us what is the difference between a conventional or allopathic veterinarian versus a homeopathic veterinarian. And he's going to help us understand how he got into this and what we would expect if we took one of our pets to go see him or even do an online appointment with him. So without further ado, Dr. Todd, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. We're so happy to have you. Uh, we had some of our members put together a list of questions that that you are going to peruse with us later, but um, it's very long. <laughs> I think I counted 32 questions and I think they're oh. still probably coming in. <laughs> okay. So and, we'll, we'll try to get them all. We'll try to get them all. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, Joy. Um, I know that you had, did you, was there something that you wanted to add here, Joy, at this time? Uh, no, I just wanted to see if he would um, hear all about Dr. Todd's journey to, you know, how he became a vet and how he chose homeopathy and all of that good stuff. And then I, I definitely, I'm interested in hearing how you treat pets, how you take a pet's case. Well, um, first of all, I, I grew up in Indiana. I was born and raised in Indiana and that's where I live now, but I've lived other places. So I'm, I'm back here again. seems like I keep coming back. Um, but I, I wanted to be a vet, you know, at a fairly young age. I, I loved animals. I loved being outside. And I was kind of a shy kid. I didn't really like being around people very much. So, you know, as I got older, I thought, I'll work with animals. I won't ever have to talk to people. <laughs> and I didn't realize that that wasn't true. But um, and, and so some things happened in my younger life. Probably a key event was um, I had to witness my my dog who was my best friend get hit by a truck and on a we were crossing a busy road he was really a good dog and knew how to watch the traffic but he got excited and waited for one car and then ran in front of the next one which was he didn't see it or something but so that um i was about 12 or 13 and that kind of you know burned a, a scar in my brain i think and made me want to be able to do something because we, you know, the driver stopped, we took him to the bed and they tried to save him, but it was, oh. he was too badly injured. So he didn't make it. And, and so I kind of vowed then that maybe I would try to be a vet. And, and then in high school, I had an English teacher who assigned, um, James Harriet's book, All Creatures Great and Small. And so a lot of people of my generation have read those and seen the TV specials and things about James Harriet. And so I, I envisioned that, you know, I, I just I just uh, went all out for it and went to Purdue, which is the only vet school in Indiana, and uh, got accepted after uh, a few 
tries to get in. It's pretty hard to get into vet school. It still is, but um, it's because there aren't many openings wow. because there aren't many schools. So, so it's pretty competitive, but I finally got in and I, I was determined to do it. So I got in and got through school and um, went into what I thought was the perfect job for me. Anyway, I wanted to work with large animals and with cows and horses. And I got a job in Amish country in Ohio, working with dairy cows and draft horses and Wow. And horse and buggy. And so it was it was kind of like being back in James Harriet days almost. It was it was really fun, but it was really hard work. And so after after a couple of years of that, my wife got tired of me being gone all the time. And I was a little tired of it too. So, <laughs> you know, day and night on the road all the time and emergencies. So I joined the Air Force and I wanted to go back to grad school, I thought. So I got into the Air Force and um only stayed in about a year and a half and I switched to the army because the recruiter who signed me up didn't realize the air force didn't have veterinarians anymore. So, so I got into the air force and immediately said, you're going to work with HIV patients. And I said, Oh, that's not what I thought I was going to do. And so, (laughs) so I, I did public health work with HIV and other diseases and, and put in my transfer request to the army. And then I got to go to the army and went to Germany, lived there three years, um, work wow. at the uh, biggest vet clinic in Germany, you know, that serviced all the military family and working dogs in the area. So it was, it was a fun job. It was a real eye opener. I learned a lot in that job. And it was my first exposure to homeopathy, honestly, <laughs> um, because our, our American family members, if they had pet emergencies on the weekend, we weren't allowed to treat them. We could only work Monday through Friday. And so they had to go to the German vet vet clinics on the weekend and a lot of the German vets use homeopathy so they'd come in on Monday with this little vial of little pellets and ask us you know what is this and I said I don't know (laughs) I don't I don't know why they gave your cat phosphorus that's weird you know um so but uh, I had a guy working with me a fellow who went to vet school in Germany and he spoke English and German he said oh that's homeopathy don't worry about it there's nothing in it you know (laughs) and uh I said, okay. And then I kind of forgot about it. And that was around 1990, I think. And then um, I ended up getting out of the military, went back to Indiana, went into practice because we wanted to be back home closer to family. And, um, and I, I was really gun ho, you know, I was, I was just eager to learn whatever I could about uh, medicine, surgery. I liked doing it all. I just thought, and I just thought if I just knew more, I would have better results because I was starting to see that results weren't that great, you know, with drugs and standard treatments. And so I was starting to follow the path that a lot of people end up following when they, when they get into homeopathy, they kind of hit the wall. <clears throat> but um, for me, I didn't hit the wall until I had practiced for about 20 years, almost 20 years. And so I had practiced quite a while, but um, mine was more of a personal health crisis. I had, I had a stroke in 2003, um, a mild, a mild stroke, not real bad, but it was bad enough. You know, it got my attention. It kind of paralyzed one side of my body and, uh, couldn't speak, lost my speech. It was real scary because I didn't know how much I would regain. You know, I, I, and I had to go through all the, I had to go through the whole wrist mill of diagnostics, you know, with CAT scans and MRIs and EEGs and, um, spinal taps and everything because, you know, Conventional medicine, we have to find a diagnosis, right? Yeah. <laughs> we we got to give it a name. And, and they were frustrated because they couldn't name it. And for a while, they thought maybe I had MS. And then they thought maybe I had uh, West Nile. West Nile was a big thing back then. And I did a lot of work with wildlife. So um, especially owls and birds of prey. So they were big carriers of that virus. So they, but they couldn't find anything. They couldn't find any testing. And so shortly after the stroke, they sent me home and I, I was in the hospital about a week, but they sent me home and, and almost immediately I started having like narcolepsy. I just couldn't stay awake. I slept all the time. Like I, I'd, I'd wake up enough to eat something, go to the bathroom, go back to sleep. And I, it was just debilitating because I, I couldn't stay awake. And, and then after a couple of months of that, I started having seizures. 
That's about the only residual thing I still have is I get a little tongue-tied if I start talking too fast. So I have to <laughs> slow myself down. Okay. <laughs> um, so seizures, fits, epilepsy. So they so they started trying to figure out, well, they they knew it was because of the stroke and whatever had happened in the in the right part of my brain because it affected the left side of my body. So um I started taking seizure medicine. And it was horrible. Oh. <laughs> uh, seizure, <laughs> seizure medicine is like the worst. Or it was in my experience anyway. I can't say it is for everybody. But um, I felt nauseous. I felt like the room was spinning. I, I just felt horrible. I, so I still wanted to sleep a lot just to keep the room from spinning. And <laughs> um, and so after a few months on one medicine, it wasn't working. They'd switch and try another one. And then they'd raise the dose. And then they'd add another drug. And they'd... So after about a year of this, I was getting pretty tired of it, and they were still experimenting. I felt like they were experimenting on me, you know. And, yeah. And uh, and I started experimenting too because I was reading about these drugs and the side effects. And the biggest side effect with a lot of them was seizures, and I was <laughs> continuing to have seizures while I was on the medicine. And I said maybe I should stop taking it and see if the seizures stop. And the neurologist said, "Oh no, no, you can't do that. That's too risky." And so I would stop on my own and I would feel better. You know, I would still have seizures, but I would feel a little better. And I, I didn't know what else to do. So eventually I I just thought, well, I know how to treat seizures in dogs. You know, I do it all the time. So I just started treating myself. And uh, they say that, uh, you know, what is it? If you have yourself as a doctor, then you're a fool or Yep. <laughs> or you have a fool as a patient or, you know, something like that. Yeah. It. So what happened is I, I got dependent on the medicine I was taking myself. I, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop because then I, and so I was on their medicine, my medicine and everything. And it was just a mess. I finally got to the point where I just, I checked myself into a, a treatment center and I got help and I got off of all those things. And that's when I get introduced to alternative medicine because they did uh, biofeedback. They did acupuncture at this place where I was being treated and, and the acupuncture really helped. I mean, it really did. No one said anything about homeopathy, but um, <laughs> you know, they, but what really um, made me decide to ditch the neurologist was when they started talking about splitting my brain in half they said, the only option we have left is we could split your brain in half, you know, with a laser. And I said, Ooh, that doesn't sound like a good thing. <laughs> I, I asked the neurologist, would you do that if it were you? And he goes, no, it's too risky, <laughs> <laughs> but he wanted me to do it. <clears throat> so I said, bye-bye to my whole neurology team. I just, you know, I, I found a Chinese medicine acupuncture doctor and, and I really started thinking, you know, about the big picture of my life, because I was starting to feel better now that I was, I was not taking seizure medicines. I finally got off all those. I was um, doing acupuncture. I was learning more about nutrition and, you know, treating myself more naturally. Um, and so I, I was going to sign up for an acupuncture course. I thought I'll go down that route because I'm familiar with that. It feels like the right thing, but there were no openings. And so I was just kind of searching on the internet and this was back in about 2008, and I found Dr. Pitt Cairn's homeopathy course, and I, I called the phone number on the website, and, and he answered the phone. <laughs> and I, I said, oh, uh, uh, do you have any openings in the course? He said, yeah, we have one more opening. Do you want it? And I said, sure. And he goes, do you know anything about homeopathy? I said, no. <laughs> and he, said, he said, well, that's okay. You'll, you'll be a good student then. And so I took his course, and immediately just started using it in practice you know just after the first session i went back and started treating animals and and um just really gave me confidence the more i used it the more i saw it working because at first i was a little leery of it you know because i i had i didn't know anybody who used homeopathy really except some of the people taking the course and so it was all brand new to me it was a new vocabulary new language um really a new way to look at everything Wow. And it still is. And it's still and it still blows me away that it's it's such a great thing. And so few people know about it. You know, it's. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that yeah, that was in 08. And then um, 
I became certified about a year later by the AVH, the Academy of Veterinary Homeopathy. And, and I've been real active in the group ever since, been a board member, been a president. And then I, I joked that they impeached me, but they didn't really impeach me. I just, <laughs> I, I did this oh. case. It was back when all that was going on. That um, is an amazing story. No. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, so in a nutshell, now I do homeopathy in my practice and it's my go-to. I, I do it first. And people who come in with their animals usually know that if they don't know it, it's their first time there. If they don't know that we we're very open and we, we tell them. And, wow. um, so in the majority of them are fine with it. We have a few people that still say, mm, you know, I just want, I just want drugs. I just want <laughs> you to use drugs. And I say, okay, well, I still remember how to do that too. So, <laughs> so they're, they're kind of in the 1% of my client population, I think that doesn't want to do homeopathy. So, and, and we're, you know, we're nice to them. We don't laugh at them or anything. So we're nice. Yeah. It's it, to me, it was a, a really radical change in my life and it, it, you know, some really drastic things happened. And, but I looking back on it, I can just see that it happened for a reason, you know, and it got me, to this point, because honestly, I don't think I'd still be working if I'd stayed with conventional medicine. Okay. I, I just would have gotten tired of it. I probably would have gone and done fact, fact, I was thinking about going into plumbing or something, you know, <laughs> something, uh, of course wow. they don't have better hours really, but. Um, <laughs> Why don't you give us a couple yeah. of examples of yeah. some of the, a couple of things that you've done with homeopathy that just solidified your decision to stay as a homeopathic vet. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest, I think the, one of the big things, and, and you asked what makes us different than a conventional vet. One of the big things that sets us apart is we don't use vaccines very much at all. The only vaccine we have in the clinic is rabies vaccine. And that's only because it's a state law. Right. And I figure, you know, if people are going to follow that law and, and we don't, we don't preach to them, we don't tell them they have to do it. You know, we say it's your choice. It, it, you know, like driving the speed limit, your choice, you, you can decide you're going to go faster and speed limit, take your chances. And you can decide you don't want to vaccinate for rabies and take your chances that way too. But, um, you know, I know as a vet, I'm supposed to tell everybody to, you know, vaccinate your dog or your cat <laughs> or your horse, but I don't. Um, and the reason we don't use any of the vaccines is because I just became convinced over time that, um, it's not a good way to build immunity, you know? And it, it is a good way to cause chronic disease and it's a good way to mess up the immune system. And so all the things I believed before about vaccines were suddenly blown out of the water, you know? So, so people, especially if they're coming in for the first time and like they have a new puppy or a kitten, a young animal, and they find out we, we aren't doing vaccines. They're like, well, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> we got, we got it. We got to do something. So and that's kind of the feeling that's sort of human nature, I think, is the feeling that we have to we have to do something because, you know, the body's just too dumb. If we leave it to its own, it's going to get sick. Um, and so so I started using no sodes, I think, just just for the reason of doing something, you know, satisfying that urge of people to do something and probably satisfying my urge, too. But but what I found out, the more I did it is um, the better things got. And the biggest example, I think, that, that shows it is parvo and puppies. And we used to we used to see so much parvo, it was horrible. I mean, we, we would see probably an average of one case per day. And oh. we, we always had at least one sick puppy in the hospital that was on fluids and, you know, close to dying or wishing he would die, you know, feeling like he was going to die. And now we um, – we have none. I mean, literally, we haven't had one since about 2017. And I think it's because of using no sodes all that time and not vaccinating. And wow. we're just, we're building up a population of animals with better immune systems. And, wow. and people love it. You know, at first the vets, it's funny because I've known these vets in this town for a long time. And when they found out I wasn't vaccinating, they, they got furious. I mean, one of them tried to report me to this state board and they started spreading rumors that we were causing, you know, epidemics in the town because we weren't vaccinated. 
And so all, you know, all this awful information and that's, that's quieted down a lot now. Some of the vets have retired that we're saying things <laughs> like that there. And the younger ones, I think don't really care. You know, they're like, Oh, he's, they call him my mystery drops. He's using his mystery drops over there. We don't really care, you know? And, uh, Oh my goodness. Yeah. That so is- that's, that's a fun, a fun part of the practice. And the other thing is just managing chronic health problems, which is the bulk of what we see. You know, we see some acute things. We see emergency things like broken bones and dogs hit by car and poisoned and things like that. Um, but, and those are nice to treat with homeopathy too. And, right. And, you know, other, other good examples of that, like bones heal twice as fast. They really do using homeopathy. And that's pretty amazing. And, um, so diseases disappear over time, the less you vaccinate for them. And a lot of countries have found that out with various diseases too. When they stopped vaccinating, things got a lot better. Right. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just treating, you know, the, the big thing, I mean, the common thing is just treating uh, malfunctions of the immune system. You know, allergies is a big one. Everybody who's had animals knows about that. Wow. And uh, especially, especially dogs. But, you know, you can, you can treat them with homeopathy. A lot of times you can cure the problem permanently, you know, yeah. and so we had a little dachshund that we, um, someone left him at the clinic because he had parvo back in like 2007 and he survived parvo and he was a cute little guy. And so my wife said, well, I, I want to keep him. And so we kept him and he just, he just passed away last February. He was 17 Aww. and he never had, uh, he never had that vaccine that starts with an R. He never had okay. Okay. one right. of those. So uh, I don't know. It just, it just kept slipping my mind, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he, he was um, very healthy. He, but he had skin allergies at first, you know, when he was younger, he had really horrible skin. And every day my wife would come and hold him up in front of me and say, fix him. <laughs> fix him. And I'd say, okay, I'm trying homeopathy. And she goes, well, I just want you to fix him. And so eventually we fixed him. It took about six or seven months and he finally healed up and he was good from that day on. He never had another skin problem at all. So That's I don't amazing. remember. What, yeah, I don't, but, but that helped me uh, be more confident, you know, because I was still at the point where. Right. I'm trying to convince myself that this is a good idea. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some days wondering, um, back then wondering, what am I doing? You know, right. I should just go back to what I was taught in school. Right. So, well, you sound like a very courageous man. I mean, as far as like the way you do things, you just, you, once you decide to do something, you are definitely all in, aren't you? I don't, I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word for it. <laughs> Uh, persistent or stubborn. Yeah. Well, Richard Pickcairn, uh, yeah, Richard Pickcairn did say that to me one time. He was, we were at a, our annual reunion meeting and I had given a talk. I think I gave my first talk there about Parvo and using no sodes and the results we were seeing. And this was like in 2014. And he, he walked past me and put his hand on my shoulder and said, you're a very brave man. <laughs> I love I, it. <laughs> I said, well, that's, that's funny, you know. Not something you expect somebody to say, but uh, and I thought about, oh, maybe, maybe it did. I think it did take some nerve to do some of this. But again, I was real determined. And I guess I have been like that in a lot of different ways in my life. As I decide I want to do something, I just say, I'm going to do it and wow. see what happens. That's awesome. We can all take a lesson. We can all take lessons from you because, well, it, I, you know, like for me, people say, oh my gosh, you know, how do you do what you do or whatever? And I stumbled into it because it, it was something I found personally worked for me, but I didn't mm. have, I didn't have a history of like being like something medical. And so for yeah. you to go from that and then to brave, even your colleagues, I just, I just yeah. find that so amazing and so brave. And I'm, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm honored to be sitting here visiting with you. <laughs> oh, well, I'm honored. I'm honored to be with you all. I really am. And I always love meeting people that are excited about homeopathy and that's one of the things I love about the consulting work is because um, these are like cream of the crop clients. You know, these are people that have sought me out and found me. And it isn't easy to find a veterinary homeopath, as you as you might have found out. Right. <laughs> I'm, right now, I'm the only one in Indiana. The other one moved to North Carolina, and she's trying to talk me into moving down there with her. But <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, I probably won't. I'm no, I'm. 
I'm staying here for a while. Wow. But she was the she was the only other one, and she took the class before I did, and then she okay. had a practice down in the southern part of the state. So we would talk and you know bounce things off each other, and we still do. It's just that we aren't in the same state anymore. But right, um, right, yeah. But it's wow. yeah, it's it it's hard. And Dr. Pitcairn said it's harder to teach a veterinarian homeopathy than it is to teach a layperson because they have all this baggage, you know, all this learning in their head. And it's hard to change your uh, mental process. You know, it's hard to, and exactly. it was really, really hard for me to wrap my brain around it. I had to do a lot of reading and a lot of talking to other people that had done it for a long time. And, uh, but I had, I had a lot of good mentors and I still do. So. Wow. And, and how do you take a case for an animal? Cause like with people, we, we listen to their story, you know, we listen to yeah. the language. Yeah. And so you can't help yeah. an animal. <laughs> Yeah, you can't. So it's a little bit like being a pediatrician. You know, I do a lot of observation of the animal themselves and I, I listen. I let the person tell me the story. Okay. You know, I try not to guide. I try not to guide the interview very much. I, you know, I, I just say something open ended like, you know, I know what they're there for because it's written on the sheet that the right. technician went in and asked them, why are you here and all that. So I, I say something like, you know, what's, what's your main concern? What's, you know, what's really bothering you most about, about this, about Rover or um, <laughs> Fluffy the cat? And they'll tell me, you know, they usually the first thing. And then, and then they start a lot of times as they start talking, they think of other things. And as, as you probably know, you know, a lot of times the most important thing is the last thing they say as, as I'm getting up to go out of the room and, oh, and one more thing, this might not be important, but bam and there it is that's the that's like the most important thing uh, wow. that strange strange rare peculiar thing you know that right. you're hoping to right. find yeah so and then all of a sudden i'm like oh okay well now i now i see the remedy you know i couldn't quite see it before so i'll be darned so do you are you classical in that sense too so you do give like a remedy um i'm pretty i'm pretty classical yeah i'm pretty classical okay. that's how i was trained and so um, I, I've, I've tried other methods off and on and still do a little bit of, you know, hybrid classical work, depending right. on, uh, depending on what I've read recently, usually. Okay. <laughs> uh, or I'll talk to somebody who says, Hey, you know, I've been doing this and I've been having really good results. And then, so, okay, well, I'll try that. So, um, yeah. yeah and I, but I get a lot of my ideas from human practitioners, you know, my, my own homeopath is, Tim Fior up in Chicago, and he's he's a great homeopath, and I've learned a lot from him. Okay. Just in seeing how he handles how he handles me, you know, my case, my situation, and and he he treats my mom, he treats one of my sisters, and so I I've learned a lot watching him deal with those things. Um, Wonderful. And then uh, Kim Kimalia Kimalia is another one that I really like and respect a lot. He. He's taught us a lot. He comes to speak at our veterinary meetings quite a bit. He'll, oh my goodness. He'll come in. He'll talk about human cases, but it's all about case management and right. remedies, you know, materia medica. So it, it's all, it's all the same and it's all one medicine, you know, so it's, right. it's, uh, yeah, I've, I've been tempted to go into human treatment, but I haven't done it yet. Now my wife says I'm too old. So <laughs> maybe I'm, maybe I'm off the hook for that. <laughs> well, you know, they, what do they say that pets begin to look like their masters after a while? I'm wondering, oh, if, I yeah. wonder if they don't take on the same, uh, the same remedy picture too. <laughs> well, it, I think they do a lot of times because especially with consulting clients, I'll, I'll say, well, I think this is the remedy we should try. And they'll say, oh my gosh, that's the remedy I'm taking. And you know, that happens, that happens quite a bit. I bet. And I do have, I have a few friends that treat both animals and people and they'll, they'll treat the they'll treat the pet parent and the pet and That's they'll say so a lot of times it is the same remedy. Yeah. That is so funny. So, yeah. Um, wow. Well, it makes sense because animals are, especially dogs, you know, are very spongy. They're emotional sponges. They tend to take right. on whatever, whatever they're, they're like chameleons, you know, they just try to blend in and kind of take on everything. So. Yeah. Well, they, they are our best friends. Yes. Yeah, so they, like yeah. you said, they respond to our needs and, yeah. According, yeah. Accordingly. Yeah. So I know yeah, our dog, exactly. our retriever gives my husband a certain yeah. type of attention. And she gives me a different type of attention. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny. Yeah. But she cries when she cries when we, we leave her for very long. 
It's like my daughter will be home with her and she'll say, oh my gosh, you guys weren't gone six hours. And she'll start crying. And I'm like, what? I know. It's so funny. <laughs> I know. And then when you come home, they act like they thought you were never coming back. So, I know. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Short, short term memory. <laughs> Our little dachshund would break in if, if my wife was upset about something, he could sense it and he'd break out in hives. Oh, <laughs> and oh my goodness. I'd, I'd look at him and I'd see hives and I'd look at my wife and say, what's, what's wrong? What's bothering you? you know? Oh my gosh. Because, <laughs> and sure enough, you know, she was upset about something or angry or, you know, something was really bothering her. He could, he could pick up on it. Wow. He was like he was like her little stress meter, I think. That's funny. Oh wow. Yeah. They're, they're like canaries in the coal mine a lot of times. They really are in our life. I think they can sense those things. And right. that's why all these therapy animals now and emotional support animals are becoming so popular. And, yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I've always had I've always had a we live, we were raised on farm. We always had an indoor dog, indoor cat, and outdoor <laughs> dog, and lots of outdoor cats and of course all mm-hmm. the other farm animals, but um, as a, as a kid, I remember it was just as a family member. And when I was sad, you know, I would go and I'd tell mm-hmm. all my problems to my puppy or my cat or whatever. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and then I'd feel better. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 A dog, a dog is always my best friend because yeah, I didn't have a lot of friends. We lived kind of out in the country and okay. I had a sister, but she didn't like to play with me very much. And, um, we were almost the same age, so. You know, okay. we'd get tired of each other, but my dog, we love each other to death now. You know, we're older and we, yep. we, we understand a little more, but, but yeah, my dog was my, my buddy and we'd go hiking and exploring together. And he was yeah. the one that got hit eventually, but oh. um, he was a great dog. Yeah. Wow. But I had a, I had a string of other dogs too. I, at one time, I think we had 10 dogs because my folks let me collect strays. <laughs> they, they couldn't come in the house, but they could hang around the property and I could feed them and but my dad wouldn't take him to the vet, so I took care of you know whatever happened with him best I oh could. But that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <clears throat> Should we take so, some of those example questions uh, now, Joy? I yes. Well, we before we jump into that, but and while we have people on the podcast listening, I think it'd be interesting to hear if you have any recommendations for somebody if they've been doing homeopathy for a little while but they've never used it on their pet before. Oh. Good question. Do you have any reference material? If you have any recommendations on how to get started? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, well, the two books I always recommend to people first because they're kind of written for the layperson. They're easy to understand. They're very, they're pretty practical. Uh, Dr. Pickcairn's book, um, it's called Natural, Complete Guide to Natural Health for Dogs and Cats which I happen to have right here in front of me. Ta-da. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the fourth edition. The first edition came out in the eighties. So the fourth edition is the newest one. And if you, you can go to his website, drpickcairn.com and see the book there. And I think there's a link to Amazon. Um, my other favorite book is um, Don Hamilton's book. Who's also a veterinarian. And he was one of the first students in Richard's course the big Karen course. And he, he wrote a book too, that's different than Richard's. And I think they complement each other real well. Okay. Um, Don goes into a little more of the, in the beginning, the philosophy, you know, behind homeopathy and the nature of disease, nature of cure, things that really helped me a lot when I was trying to learn all this and trying to make sense of it. And then it's, uh, it's divided up into the different systems of the body as far as the ailments and symptoms you might see and what remedies might help. So it, it, it helped me in my early days of homeopathic practice because I would kind of refer to it like a cookbook, you know, (laughs) and they, they said, don't, they said, don't use it that way. But, um, I, I did anyway. It was kind of a crutch for me to use those books. And well, in a way I was, um, you know, tapping into their, their mind a little bit to see how they would think about this. And right. now I have a pretty good understanding of my own, so I don't have to do that as much. But I, I still refer to them pretty often, and I refer other folks to them, too. Those good are enough. two good ones. Yeah, there, there's some other really good books, too. Uh, Wendy Jensen, who's a great homeopathic vet out in uh, New England area, she wrote a book recently, and it's a smaller book, Handbook of Practical Veterinary Homeopathy. Oh. practical handbook of veterinary home it's a real skinny book if you can see that so right. that's a nice that's a nice thing <laughs> i like skinny <laughs> books um <laughs> i like all books really but you know skinny books are 
make me feel optimistic that I might actually finish the thing. So, <laughs> um, but she's an excellent homeopath. She worked with Dr. Pitcairn on the repertory that he, he, he wrote a repertory just for animals and it's called the Pitcairn repertory. Wow. And he, he labored on that thing for like 10 or 15 years. It was really a, uh, a long time, but they finally got that produced and it's real helpful. It's what I use. My software is his repertory and then, I have a hard copy of the book too that sits on the shelf at the clinic. And uh That's awesome. Yeah, he went he went through the whole repertory and took out things that didn't really apply to um animals. Okay. So he kind of but it's still really thick and has a lot of references, but it's it's more designed for veterinary work. So it's nice. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah wow. So. Okay. So how so like if a person has an animal that has been vaccinated and has been conventionally, you know, taken to a vet yearly. I think, I think they take them every year. How do they, how do they start going the other direction to go towards more natural? Um, yeah, for some folks, it's, uh, so for some folks, it's an easy transition, you know, they'll, they'll say, you know, we, we, um, we don't do this for us. So, you know, we don't vaccinate our kids. We don't believe in that. And we decided finally, well, why should we do it for animals, you know? And, and so they just start looking around to see what options are out there. And so a lot of our new clients that come to the clinic where I work, because that's my day job, <laughs> and, um, you know, when, sometimes the first thing they'll say is we, we heard that you don't do a lot of vaccines and that's why we're here. You know, we don't, we don't like them. And so it's a real, it's a real big deal for a lot of folks. Um, some folks are just coming in because they've been, like they've been treating a chronic problem for a long time with drugs and they're not having good results and they want to try something different, you know, and some folks come in and don't really realize that I'm a homeopath <laughs> and they're, they're a little surprised, you know, when we first start talking about it, but um, usually they're okay. Usually I can, okay. I can um, talk them into at least trying it and, you know, trying to, trying to sell the pros and cons, but okay. there aren't too many cons. So there's a lot of pros. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that right. that's what usually happens. Yeah. And then, um, you know, word of mouth, the clinic I'm in now, we started it from scratch in 2012 in February. So we just passed our 10th year here. And I've actually owned, um, there's about seven clinics in this town. I've owned three of them. Oh, Wait. nice. Yeah, yeah, I've owned three of them. <laughs> um, but I only own this one now. This is the only one. The others, um, okay. I, I sold my part out or gave up my ownership to the other folks that were there because I wanted to have a place that was just mine. That was just homeopathy. And so right. that was my, that was my dream. And That's we amazing. did it. The first, first year was kind of rough, interesting. You know, we, um, we didn't even have a business phone. Like for a couple of months, we used our cell phones, me and one other, I had a guy that came with wow. me from the other clinic. He was my technician. He was my right-hand person and, you know, we, we did it all. I mean, we, we booked appointments, we did the surgeries, we saw the patients. Um, so it was, it was fun though. It was exciting. And that's great. And that's, then it built up pretty quick. That's now awesome. we have about 10 or 10 or 12 employees on average, I think. So, okay. Yeah. So do you take yeah. um, appointments online and do zoom appointments or does it all have to be mm-hmm. in your clinic? Uh, no, I, I do. Uh, I do both. And we really started doing the telemedicine more during COVID because it became, you know, acceptable. <laughs> and, uh, but we, you know, we've been doing it. I've been doing it all along pretty much probably since about 2011 or 2012. Okay. Um, doing phone consults. I didn't do a lot of them at first. It was mainly just people that would randomly find me somehow on a, okay. on a search and email me and say, Hey, you know, can you help me with my animal? And, and so eventually I, it got busier and eventually I, uh, my wife helped me put together a website and we put together a scheduling, um, program that people can use and schedule their own appointments. And Wonderful. so it works, it works real well. The problem right now is I don't, I'm not able to give enough time to it because I, I work, I work three evenings a week for two or three hours with consults. And after I've done at the clinic working all day. Wow. And so. So I, I put in about six or eight hours a week just on appointments. And then I, I do a lot outside of those hours too, because I do a lot of texting and emailing and short phone calls, just follow up type things. So, wow. Uh, You're cause busy I, I try to be, 
yeah, I try to be pretty available, but I try to have some um, downtime too. So it's, yeah. Yeah, we can't afford to have the one that trinarian homeopath get burned out. <laughs> no, no, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm, I'm in danger of burning out. I feel like I have enough space in my life right now and oh, that's uh, great. keep my sanity. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and we, yeah, we, we build in break times and times when we can go and do uh, other things. So, that's, so mm-hmm. I, Joy, should we do a few, a couple <laughs> sample questions? There's, a, there's one here that really, really interested me because this is honestly one of the things that um, I hear all the time or I, if the people ask mm-hmm. me about all the time is those hot spots. Uh, I'm just trying to find this one. Um, oh, I see it. It's like uh, four or five down on the first page. Okay. Dog gets okay. Hot spots. okay. Yeah. That's, and, and I, I think that's a real common problem. And I, and I don't yeah. know which I've, I think it's probably from um, a particular vaccine, but we're not going to talk about, you know, you can't yeah. really lay blame when you don't have proof, but I'm just suspecting. Well, um, you can in a way because allergies in general, you know, because we know this because there are uh, quite a few folks now that are doing natural breeding for dogs, natural rearing, okay. no vaccines at all. And they don't have allergy problems. Right. Their dogs, they have generations of healthy animals with no hot spots, you know, no allergy right. trouble. So, and the Purdue, my alma mater did the Purdue vaccine study back in the nineties. And if, okay. if you all haven't heard of the Purdue vaccine study, hurry and look it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, because would I say that seriously because it's getting wiped off the internet. Um, you can't find the original study anymore; it's gone. But what they did back in the '90s, they did it was the first one of its kind. But they vaccinated two groups of puppies with the standard uh, puppy vaccine, the distemper parvo combination, and the other group they, they didn't vaccinate. They gave saline or a placebo, and. Uh, what they found was 100% of the vaccinated puppies developed autoimmunity. They developed oh. antibodies to almost every protein in their body, including their DNA. They they got antibodies to everything. And um, collagen, connective tissue, heart muscle, everything, kidney. It was ridiculous. And and the non-vaccinated puppies, zero, zero percent got autoimmunity. Oh. I just got goosebumps. So, I <laughs> oh mean, the ta- yeah, the take-home... Yeah, the take-home message is um, vaccines cause autoimmunity all the time. Not just it's not just like you're rolling the dice. You're guaranteed you're going to have autoimmunity. Um, you may have you know you may have a mild case of it. You may have a uh, you know not a dog that's having a lot of problems, but if you're lucky. So. So what do you do for a dog that comes in with hot spots? Do you clean up the vaccine injury first, um, or just treat this? Well, sometimes? yeah, we. Yeah, we try to do both. A lot of times we have to kind of treat what's on top, you know, what's what's most pressing. What's presenting, right? right. Yeah. So a lot of times we'll use like acute acute type remedies for the hot spots and some really good ones. My two favorite are probably Rustox and Heparsulf. <clears throat> and uh, Apis, Apis can help some of those hot spots too. Belladonna can help some of them. But some of the remedies you think of with like acute inflammation, um, things that come on real fast, you know, Belladonna, of course, but Roostox, you know, being poison ivy, everybody's familiar with that. So, right. And, but yeah, hotspots are real common. They're, they're real painful and annoying to the dog. And, um, I've had dogs that used to get hotspots. I mean, a lot, but, you know, I vaccinated them. I gave them their boosters. I did everything I was supposed to as a good vet. And, um, <laughs> Didn't, I, I didn't have a clue. I was throwing gas on the fire, you know, you're throwing gas on the fire. And so exactly. when I tell people that for the first time, they're, they're shocked, you know, because especially if they just came from being at another vet clinic for a long time. Well, right. they never told me that. Well, I, I said, well, they probably don't know. Uh, they probably didn't read the Purdue vaccine study. The people at Purdue now today don't even know about the Purdue vaccine study. Wow. <laughs> so I think the only place you can still find it is um, Dogs Naturally magazine will um, usually pop up. If you if you Google Purdue vaccine study, Dogs Naturally will pop up. I see someone just posted the link. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have the original study. I, I saved it on my 
hard drive and I have a copy of it. Well, the, the lead researcher on that Purdue vaccine study, he, he was politely kind of pushed away and had to go to another vet school. And then I think he eventually retired because he, he had trouble finding work because it was like he had a target on his back after that. And, um, just because he was honest. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he did a lot of work for vaccine researchers. He was an epidemiologist, really. He was, um, a veterinarian, but he's also an epidemiologist. So he did a lot of number crunching and um, epidemiology type research about vaccines. But when he did this one, you know, no one in the conventional world was very excited about that. And yeah, I think it came out like in the mid nineties around 95 or 96. And I graduated in 86 from vet school. So it was about 10 years after I was there. Wow. That's amazing. Um, But yeah. So um, when I share that with people, they, they're blown away. You know, they're, they're like, why doesn't everybody talk about this? I know. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. It's, wow. so, yeah. So I've learned a lot since then about, about that and about, um, natural immunity. I've did, given a lot of talks on natural immunity versus vaccine immunity and, and, um, you know, no sodas are a big help. I think, I think they can really help in that process, but it's still the body building its own immunity. You know, right. the, the nosodes aren't triggering antibody production or anything like that, like a vaccine would, because then it would be a vaccine. So, right, right. Yes, we just got a lesson about that from Dr. Isaac Golden last week. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Isaac Golden, he's a great fan of uh, homeoprophylaxis. Exactly. Which is a very, a very long word. We need a shorter word for it, but <laughs> <laughs> I like to just say nosodes. <laughs> right, uh, right. See, like I said, these these questions are are great, and it does remind me of my average day at work. So, so Joy, what were you going to ask him? And then I think I would love to hear some of his, you know, what he tells us from some of these things. Yeah. Okay. So just to wrap up the podcast part, if someone were to decide <laughs> okay. that they wanted to give their dog like roost talks for hot spots, how if yeah. they're brand new, they've never given their dog a remedy before at all. What is the best way for them to give their dog a remedy? What would you What would you advise them on how to give your crazy pet a remedy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's usually the big question because if especially if people are familiar with remedies and they say, "Well, I just take you know two little pellets and put them under my tongue, and my dog won't let me do that," and I go, "Yeah, I probably won't let you do that." Um, so I've I found over over the years, just that dosing in, in water in a wet form is the easiest. So we dispense almost all of our remedies in dropper bottles mixed with water. And it's nice because we just, we put the dose in the water bottles and we, we shake it. Um, we add just a little bit of brandy for a preservative. So it, it has a good shelf life and it doesn't really affect the remedy or affect the animal. So right. even cats, cats don't mind it. And cats are real sensitive to anything alcohol you know if you try to give them something with a lot of alcohol in it they don't like that and they foam at the mouth um but yeah we do it in liquid form so they could get their pellets and you just take about two pellets uh you know two two or four pellets a small number of pellets you put them in like a one ounce dropper bottle shake that up and just give a few drops with the dropper bottle just pull their lip up i just pull up their lip and just squirt it right at their teeth and just as long as it hits the inside of their mouth, you've got a dose and it's going to, it's going to act if, if it's the right remedy. That's awesome. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Wow. And cat, cats are a little trickier with cats. I find the easiest way is to gently just kind of cup your hand over the head, and gently point their nose right at the ceiling and just put the drop right there below their nose where their nose and mouth lips come together. And because trying to pry their mouth open and put it in their mouth, you're going to make the cat mad. And usually you don't want to make, make cats mad. You know, they have a lot of weapons and they're not afraid to use them. Even if you are the one that feeds them. Um, I have a lot of scars to prove that. um, Yeah. So cats, cats, you know, one or two drops, just a real small dose. They're very sensitive to remedies for the most part. And so they're, they're fun to treat. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I like the wet, I like the wet dose. And then, you know, early on I had people telling me, you know, wet versus dry, which would better and all that. And I honest, I mean, to my thinking, it doesn't seem to matter. You know, what matters really is, do you have the right remedy? <laughs> and I think if you do, it's going to, it's going to act whether it's in wet or dry form or 
or even like Hanuman did olfaction. A lot of times he did olfactory right. doses like that. I haven't right. tried that with dogs yet, but it probably would work because they're so curious to sniff everything, you know. Well, even for our, our, even our horses and cattle, we would, I would mix up a quart jar with um, like yeah. you know, four pellets and I'd keep it in yeah. the tree and I'd suppress it every morning, put a few, a couple tablespoons in their water tank yeah. and slosh it with the, the hose. Absolutely. And yeah. Took care of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. The, the coolest thing I ever heard was, um, I, I don't know if you remember Glenn Dupree. He was a vet homeopath that passed away several years ago, but he was, he was one of my mentors when I was studying, but he wrote a book on organic livestock and homeopathy and uh, acres actually published it. It's a really good book. Um, wow. But they, they used um, like to treat herds of cattle, like with pneumonia and things, they would put it in a, like a garden sprayer of those pressurized and they would uh-huh. pressurize it and they would have the cattle run through the, the corral and they would spray them in the face. They would just wow. blast them in the face and it would work. You know, it would, they just blast them. Yeah. Um, I heard a lady who does wildlife work. She was talking about treating a flock of birds up in a tree and she used a super soaker. (laughs) She, she put the remedy in the super soaker and, you know, pressurized it and just shot a stream of water up there and hosed down the birds. Isn't that amazing? It it worked. It, you know, it helped some of the birds. So that was, I thought that was pretty creative. That is. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of ways to give remedies. And we do have people dose it in the water dish a lot of times, like you did in the water trough, because right. some animals just don't want to be handled. You know, they don't want you to put anything in their mouth. So, Wow. Well, um, I will say our dogs, when I want to give our, like our dogs something, they just, they literally will stand <laughs> on their hind legs because they see you get the, you yeah. get the homeopathic remedy out and they're just, yay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mommy's going to give us a yeah, our, you know, couple on the floor and they lap them right up and... <laughs> Our, our dog would come running too. And I always, I always called it a treat. I said, come yep. and get your treat, you know? And so <laughs> he knew what that word was. Yep. Yeah. And he liked it. He would just let me do it. So. Yep. That's so neat. All right. Well, I guess we are going to wrap this up then joy. And um, like I said, we're going to continue visiting with our members here. I see we have a room full of members that are hopping up and down, waiting to get all their questions answered. So uh, <laughs> so we're going to let you go. And so I'm just, I'm, you're going to stay with us, but I'm going to let our podcast listeners go. And like I said, join, they can join us again. Hopefully Dr. Todd can come back and join us again. This has just been amazing. And, um, and I, I think it's so important because I do know we have a lot of listeners to this podcast. And so this is really there for our listeners first exposure to, you know, that we've been able to help, you know, introduce them to a veterinarian and, I'm really excited that this is, this has been great. So to all of our listeners out there, may God bless you and yours. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Todd Cooney. If you'd like to find out more about Dr. Cooney, you can visit him at his website at naturalanimalconsulting.com. Dr. Cooney also stayed on with the Homeopathy for Mommies Members Corner and answered a couple of questions in June of 2002. If you'd like to access that recording, you can join us in the members corner at members.homeopathyformommies.com forward slash invite. Thanks for listening to this episode of Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Please visit Sue on her website, homeopathyformommies.com, and join us right here at homeopathyformommiesradio.com. Wednesday, noon Eastern. As always, we pray the Lord blesses you with good health, vitality, strength, and wisdom.